Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. We're back for part two to talk about this defense. Uh, and a fine defense it was in the 22-19 loss to the Colts. Uh, obviously, the offense uh, let the team down in, in some ways, but a great defensive effort. Here to join me to talk about that is Melissa Kim. Melissa, how are you doing? Great. Lovely. Thanks so much for having me. We had a great time in the first episode talking about a number of things. I, I really love the great stories you bring, particularly those about relationships on the team and what's going on. I encourage people to go download that, give that a listen. Uh, I think you'll enjoy listening to what Melissa has to say about that and about the game in general, obviously, and and what it was like to be there on uh, on Sunday. Uh, the second part of this show, we talk about individual player performances, and the format is you pick a player and talk about them, and then I'll respond to that. Uh, please lead us off. All right. I think my MVP of this game, it has to go to Kyle Hamilton. I think that that's pretty universal across the board, even maybe even on the whole team, not just on the defense. Um, obviously, the three sacks setting, making history again. And this is a guy that um, I've been a pretty big fan of just from a cultural standpoint, because he is half Korean. His mother from, mother's from South Korea. His father is black. And um, he made history actually when he was drafted, because he's the first Korean American player that this franchise has ever drafted. And I think because of that, we had a little bit of a cultural inherent relationship when he first got to the team, um, just from a cultural standpoint, there's a lot of respect that goes to older people. So from like an older sister, like younger brother, maybe kind of relationship is like what we have a little bit of as well. Um, because he told me he could speak some Korean for sure too. His mom has actually caught it. I've talked to me about where the best Korean restaurants are or Korean markets are in Baltimore. So if you have a suggestion, definitely send it over to Kyle Hamilton. But um, yeah, what I think I've really loved about him is that he has really owned up to any, you know, rookie mistakes or errors or constructive criticism that he has come across. And I think part of that too, um, again, going back to a little bit of the cultural thing that he's talked to me about before is that from a Korean culture standpoint, you do, it does come from a culture of, where your parents are a little bit tougher on you, right? In terms of mm -hmm. expectations, because you're not just doing things for yourself, but for the people that brought you to this country, right? His mom is from South Korea, his grandma as well. And so I think that that really- You have I'm, to live, they ha they get to live vicariously through you. Right, in that way. It's so funny because I remember asking him last year, I was like, you're so good at owning your mistakes. Like, how do you, how, like, why? He's like, well, Melissa, like, as you know, we have Asian moms and whatever. And so he definitely <laughs> identified with that each other a lot. And when he was talking to me about going back to Notre Dame um, in the off season to, you know, continue to work on his degree. And I was like, wow, you're literally going back for the spring semester. Um, why? And he's like, well, we have Korean moms, Melissa, we have to go back and get our degrees. And I was like, okay, I get it. Like, I get it. I know that he can't always say it to everybody. But it's kind of, a, it's been nice for me as well, because there are very few Korean American, literally no Korean American women, you know, doing this job, um, covering football as well, very few of them, at least. And so we kind of have that, it's kind of been nice to have that like little relationship with him where we kind of identify with each other from our cultural background. That, that's not, I know it's nothing to do with football really, but it's gone into what he has, how he's developed as a player. Okay. So I, I just a, 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 a small definitional thing. Cause I actually want to know tiger moms, yes. oftentimes Asian in general, and they, yes. they, they push their kids to succeed in every possible way. Yes, that's kind of, I think it was a New York Times article, probably a couple, a decade or so ago. That's where the phrase came from. It's so funny because I had the first one-on-one -on -one sit down with him when he came to town and we did a story on Asian American Heritage Month because it was during, uh, right after the draft in May last year. 
And it's so funny because he went to Notre Dame. I went to Hopkins, like both obviously really great schools. But we have brothers that went to UPenn. And, you know, it's every Korean mother's dream to have their kid go to an Ivy League or Harvard, yep. Princeton, yeah, whatever. And we were like, yeah, we're both the failures of the family. <laughs> Notre Dame and Hopkins. And we both, but we both felt that because he was like, we both were talking about how we had brothers. He's like, oh, where's your brother going to school? And I was like, 10. And he's like, we're, I was like, what about yours? He's like, oh my God, 10. And I, he was like, oh my God, we're so bad. We're so, like, we're such failures in life and what we're doing. <laughs> So um, it's been pretty neat to have that uh, that kind of relationship with him, obviously. And But again, it goes into how his development has been as a football player and as a human being. You think about, he was 20 years old when he was drafted. You know, like last year when he turned 21, I was like, oh my God, what'd you do for your 21st birthday? He's like, I just like went to the liquor store and bought a beer to say that I could. And he's like, I don't even like beer. And that was kind of it. You know what I mean? So um, great kid. I think character is like on point and you know again as the tiger mom saying goes there's no way that he's ever going to be able to put a toe out of line because sure there's fines and whatever the law but i promise you the korean mother will strike more fear into his heart than anything else that he could ever that anything else that could ever consequence that could come his way that is very cool that is very <laughs> cool definitely hamilton had one of the best ever games by a ravens defensive back in this game and that is an incredibly high standard for a, a you know a team that's had ed reed uh playing here mm-hmm. jim leonard you know i i know you're a fan of him in, in the game at tennessee in 2008 it was a fantastic postseason game uh but ed reed had a number of multiple interception games but if I'm going to limit it strictly down to the nickel in particular, mm-hmm. there's one game that I would nominate to compete with Kyle Hamilton for the best game ever played by a nickel. And that was by Corey Ivey in 2006 in the 27 to nothing win over the Steelers at home. Ivey in that game, three passes defense, included one interception. And one of the big highlights from that game is a strip sack that he actually had coming off the edge that Adilas Thomas scooped up and ran into the end zone for the score that put him up 24 nothing right after halftime. And that game had everything from Corey Ivy. He was all over the field. Kyle Hamilton in this one, very much similar. He, he actually rushed the passer 12 times in this game. Six of them were disguised as off-ball blitzes. Five of those, he developed. He delivered some sort of pressure event, including three sacks. And he had one other pressure among six undisguised uh, rushes. But I thought it was it was just... One of the most astounding performances I've ever seen from really any Ravens defender, but certainly from a Ravens nickel. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think that we've only scratched the surface of what Kyle Hamilton can do. He's in his only in his second year, you know, 21 year old kid, essentially. So I think that he's got a lot more ahead of him on this team, especially with this defense. And you hear when you hear Mike McDonald talk about Kyle, too, it's like he's so excited about the potential of what he can do. So I think that with Mike McDonald being, you know, as quote unquote young for defensive coordinator, whatever you Mm -hmm. want to call it, as he is the relationships that he has with these guys, I think, you know, you identify a little bit more in that sense because you are so close in age. And a lot of these defensive coaches actually um, too, like think about Zach Orr, you know what I mean? Like I think the age difference or the lack of age difference, I think helps out a lot in this sense. Yeah. So so you, you mentioned Zach Orr, very relatable coach because he's, he's young uh, and, and you know what? I mean, that shouldn't maybe matter. Maybe it should be that Dallas Andrews should be able to see you eye to eye on, on, with every offensive lineman. And there, there, there's some <laughs> he ways does, though. he does. Okay. Jody's such a boss. I'm obsessed with him because here's this like, what, like 69, 70 year old man yeah. who's like out there. And like, we make a joke sometimes. So on Fridays, we like definitely always watch the O-line um, at practice because we're on the far field field three. And so we always joke that if you cut everybody off from like the knees down, 
you wouldn't be able to tell if Joe DeLisandris is a coach <laughs> or a player because his calves are like massive. He obviously still works out. And like, you know, I think someone was saying that they like ran into him in the hallway once and he was like carrying like little like cupcakes for everyone to like give out to the players and stuff like that. And he's just, he's just the sweetest, nicest man. I can't believe that he's, I can't believe, I mean, credit to him that he's, he's doing this still. Amazing. Amazing feat. He's still, he's, he's got a lot more time doing it too. Oh, he's, yeah. he's, if you go to camp, just try watching the offensive line for a while. Yeah. Cause Dallas Sanders is an old school teacher. He goes mm-hmm. one rep at a time and he builds it up from it, from, from just a portion of the line up to usually only three, just half line drills where he has a couple guys standing on the outside yep. being, being defenders. It's very, very well put together. He's very, um, very big into exactly how your feet are being placed and taking your yep. first step, shifting your weight and using your hands. He's all about those very technical details. And he, he gets right in there, pushes you out of the way and takes the rep for you to kind of show you how to do it. It's, it's, it's great stuff. It's so fun to watch. And yeah, I mean, and, don't get me just because he's an older gentleman. He does not let up on those guys at all. I've seen him say words that I probably would never say to my <laughs> mother to these guys. And he does not let up on them. And, but the guy, I mean, how can you not love this guy? How can you not love being coached by this guy? Cause he's essentially a legend, you know? Yeah. He's, he's, he is just great in credit in terms of the Ravens offensive line development. He's all about it. I don't even know if he's really the scheme guy for the Ravens run game, or if he ever really has been, he's a technician in terms of exactly how to, how to teach offensive linemen, but it's been, it's been remarkable to watch him. Yeah. I did want to go back to your earlier comment about Zach or though being relatable. Mm-hmm. And you can, you know, that Zach or has shared a lot of these childhood experiences and, and it doesn't necessarily always matter, but when you've seen the same movies and you understand the same music, you can oh, yeah. use those as analogies and you get that. And the time I saw it really not work was I forget if it was a linebackers coach or a defensive coach or whatever, but it was one of the ones on hard knocks and it wasn't the Ravens. So he basically said, you know, Yoda, you know, he says, you know, do or do not, uh, do not, that there is no try. And, you know, mm-hmm. some people my age understand that reference and, and people who are, in, are 20 years old, they've never seen star Wars. That's true. <laughs> no, that's so true. You think about those cultural like references and stuff like that now too. Cause like you think about, Oh, I'm going to go back to Kyle Hamilton for a second. He was like born after nine 11 and you're just like, what? Like, yeah. Oh my gosh. Like, that's, you know, I don't feel like I'm like that old, but that, that definitely makes me feel old too. You know what I mean? Those, those cultural references, because um, I was talking to somebody the other day too, like in that age range and they didn't know who Oprah was. And I was like, what do you mean? What do you mean? You don't know who Oprah was, but you think about those, those kids have never watched Oprah on TV because she was off the air before they were, they watched TV. You know what I mean? So, oh yeah. She, age, she came through Baltimore originally. Yes, so she's, she's right. a big deal here. Yeah, uh, for sure. I think the only other thing I kind of want to want to hit on with Hamilton before we move on is where do you keep him the rest of the year? Do you do you keep him at slot corner given how well he played in this game, or do you move him back to safety? How how do you deal with that? I think it's going to depend on who else is on the field, honestly, because in terms of personnel and who they who else they have available, because obviously he's proven that he can you know go back to he can obviously play safety he can play at the slot I think it's just going to depend on you know Gino Marcus you know these other guys that have injuries are they going to be able to come back or are they going to have to shift I think it's really going to depend on who comes off the end or Marlon Humphrey for crying out loud mm-hmm. yeah I, I mean it's going to depend on who is going to be back with the team and able to, and healthy and able to play well, the good news is he's he's one of those guys who's good enough that you can move him around and hopefully not mess him up. And uh, we kind of had that discussion on the first show about about what what really matters. And if you have great players, 
you can move them around a lot if you have if you have Michael Orr or Kamalai Correa, it's harder because they're more marginal players for the NFL. So uh, it's it's a more difficult thing to to get that to work out. Yeah. All right, we'll move on. I'll, I'll, if if it's okay with you, I'll I'll bring up my yeah. it, next Go guy. Up. I'll talk about Michael Pierce a little bit. Now, Michael Pierce did not have a big splashy um, look in this game, and and some of the things you'll remember about him were things that weren't necessarily very great. For instance, he missed a sack um, that later got turned turned into a two yard sack. Uh, he missed a second sack where Minshew got rid of the ball in the end zone. Uh, and he didn't have the Minshew's right arm pinned, which allowed him to kind of shot put the ball out of there enough in the direction of a wide receiver that it wasn't intentional grounding. Uh, and that was on the play before the safety. We actually, the safety could have came, come a play earlier there. Uh, it didn't turn out to be, you know, a, a pivotal play in the game, but but unfortunately didn't, didn't convert the sack here. He had a tremendous impact on the run plays, and in particularly on the fourth and one, he stood up to Nelson and French in a double team in a way you wouldn't expect to happen and actually pushed them back slightly while all of the um, bypassers, I will call them on the outside were rushing in to, uh, to make the play, including Brandon Stevens, who ultimately did Patrick queen, who had the front side blocked off uh, really impressive game for Michael Pierce. I have him for four pressures in the game. And uh, one of his best games, I think as a Raven, including the first, the first trip as well. So uh, just extremely impressed with what he did in this game. Yeah, Michael Pierce, uh, I talk a little about him in, in the in part one and his relationship with Brett Urban. Um, obviously, one of those guys that is a veteran that can bring that veteran experience, I think, and veteran, you know, mojo to um, to that D-line, especially because you think about what they lost, right? They lost Clayce Campbell, mm-hmm. who was such a big part of this defense, a big part of this team. And so um, and now they're looking at a leader, you know, and I think Michael Pierce has become one of those guys for sure because, you know, he is a veteran. Um, and I spoke to him uh, during training camp. I was during training camp uh, in a one-on-one situation. And we talked, um, you know, like when I do these one-on-ones, guys, like obviously I want to talk football and like, you know, what's going right, what's going wrong. But also like, you know, what else are you doing in life a little bit? Like what happened in your life and things like that and your relationships with other guys. So the one thing that I love about the D-line um, overall is that in order to learn the plays, they play Jeopardy. Um, so apparently this is like an ongoing tradition or something really? like that. Yeah. Oh yeah. This is something I found out last year and like Kalea, they, they get like really into it. Like it's, it's a serious deal. Like Kalea is like, you know, he told me every week what the score, like I on Fridays uh, in the locker room, I would, talk, I would always go talk to Kalea. So it would be like, you know, we just, you know, not even like in an interview format, we just like talk about like, you know, what's going on with turf fields, about like soccer, about like life, like whatever. And so I would always like get an update, like on the Jeopardy score with him on Fridays. And so, um, yeah, it gets it apparently gets really intense, which you would imagine. I mean, these guys they compete over Connect Four, yes. like Rokon. You know what I mean? If you guys have seen those videos, um, actually, as an aside, um, if you follow Rokon on Instagram, he would always post like when he beat someone, and he would be like, "Another victim, I got another one." And be like, <laughs> poor Kyle Hamilton, like poor Patrick Lee, poor Gino, like whoever it was. But then I talked to Delshawn Phillips like two weeks ago, and he was like, "No, he's like that's actually crap." Because he's like the record. He's like my record. He's like I'll show you on my phone. The record right now is thirteen and two. And he's like I'm thirteen and Roquan is two. You see, he never puts his losses on Instagram because like, everyone thinks he's a winner. So just FYI. So, but the thing is, these guys get competitive. That's thirteen and two at Connect Four. Yeah. Oh yeah. They they keep score. They keep records at Connect Four. They they are competitive about everything and obviously even Jeopardy um, in terms of learning learning the plays for the D line. And so I asked both uh, Michael Pierce and Brett Urban this year about Jeopardy. Um, and what they're doing with that. But yeah, go ahead. 
so in in 1996, I met my, uh-huh. my, my wife and uh-huh. she, uh, she and I were instantly incredibly competitive with each other. This is a lot less interesting than Roquan Smith. And no, no, please. but we kept a sheet of every game we played and it only took about two months for one of us to become very tired of that. <laughs> and I won't who say was that? Who I was won't that? say it. I won't say it. Was it because somebody else was winning all the time? Well, there, there was there was probably some of that, but but uh, we we still <laughs> really enjoy our games, and and whenever we can get together for a game night, we always we always do that. But uh, no, I, I understand I that. the that. Ryan Mink apparently plays mm-hmm. games and has played some with the with the Ravens. Uh, and and he, he told me that he used to play with John Urschel. And I, that, <laughs> I would think that would be very, very challenging because he was yeah. a, you know, a very smart guy and whatnot, but uh, like to play games apparently quite a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think any of those guys, when you're that level of, or like just in general, I mean, I think we're all by human nature, like most of us are very competitive, yeah. like if we played a sport or like whatever. But um, yeah, so I guess this year, apparently they've like split, they used to have like two teams for the D-line and playing Jeopardy, but now they have like pairs. And obviously, what, are like the, what are the nature of the Jeopardy question? It's going to be anything world history, whatever, or is it all? Oh, no, no, no. Football? It's just like, it's just about, it's just about uh, the play to so learn. Like, oh, that's know, good. Kind of learn, yeah. yeah, learn the play. Like that's like important part of it, I suppose. But, um, you know, I was asking him a little bit too, like, you know, who's, stepping up in the leadership role now, you know, he said himself, obviously Project Washington, Justin Matabike, um, you know, definitely, um, definitely the leaders in that room. So it's like, it was definitely cool to see Michael Pierce to, you know, get recognized. Cause like, I feel like that, you know, those dealing O-line, those positions, you know, unless you make a mistake, you don't really hear about them. Right. Unless you like blow covered or blow a player or something like that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think that him and Brent Urban together, they're such a little, apparently, uh, Chuck Smith calls them the fun bunch. So, um, those two together, they just try to keep everything like really light and, you know, fun, you know what I mean? Cause at the end of the day, when you think about it, like we take football so seriously sometimes, but it's, it, it generally, it's a kid's game that, you know, that they're being paid to play is what some of them have said to me in the past to offer you some perspective there. But, um, but yeah. Getting back to Pierce for a second, playing yeah. with tremendous leverage this year. The pad level yeah. is fantastic and really doing a great job of standing up to doubles that might have moved him in past years. I think he's really playing at at, at a higher level, and that's saying a lot because Pierce is a brief time last year and his mm-hmm. first tour with the Ravens was an outstanding run defender. Uh, he's even, you know, he's making his presence felt as a pass rusher, pass rusher this time. Do you get a sense? I, I know Chuck Smith was brought in more to deal to play, to teach the ed, edge rushers some new tricks, and particularly some compound moves. I think I saw a little bit at camp of those interior guys also <laughs> doing some hand placement <laughs> drills as well. Oh yeah, no, that's that's the fun stuff to watch. I think for sure. I think as we've kind of said about a couple of guys on the show already, you know, about Brandon Stevens, Kyle Hamilton, as the more versatile that you can be, the more valuable you are going to be to a team. And um, one of the things that really stood out about Michael Pierce, when I talked to him um, during camp that I like now remembering is that he just seemed a little bit like lighter, like, you know what I mean? Like a happy one, like in terms of like his attitude and stuff like that. And I was like, why are you so light this year? I was like, I feel like you're a little bit lighter. And he's like, honestly, I think he said, I'm going into year eight. My season got cut short last year or two seasons cut short rather due to injury. And he's like, I just, I'm really just trying to enjoy every single moment. Just be grateful and thankful for every day. And you can say that that sounds cheesy, a little woo woo, like whatever you want. But at the end of the day, like they know that this is a very limited time mm-hmm. that you get to play in the NFL. And so instead of being stressed about like, oh my gosh, like he's just really being grateful for it. He, he and Brent Urban are kind of in maybe a similar position. I mean, first mm-hmm. of all, if, if Pierce plays well this year, he could still get signed somewhere, but people oh, yeah. are going to be leery with his size that things are going to go south in a hurry. So he's probably does not have another multi-year contract left, I yes. would think. Urban definitely is an NFL survivor at this point. 
he, he probably would play for the Ravens or almost nobody else uh, next year. I, I asked him because I know he's from the Toronto area and pretty yeah. much if you're Canadian, everybody's from the Toronto area more or less. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but no, I'm just kidding. There's a, there's a lot of little communities there that all seem to be, you know, the homes of, of various CFL teams. And, you know, whether it was the Hamilton Tiger Cats who owned his rights originally or Toronto, uh, would he like to play there in the Canadian Football League mm -hmm. for a year? And, and he said, well, you know, I, I, I thought about it at one point and going back and trying to, you know, trying to play there in, a, in my hometown and whatnot. But he, but he wanted to play 10 years in the NFL. Which is pretty impressive. I mean, next, a decade. Yeah, that is really, really impressive. Um, yeah, I just I hope I mean, you're right about their various contract situations for sure. But you again, great relationships. Those have a great relationship. And Urban is really, I think, starting to be that personality guy in the team too. He like, never is like not smiling. Him and Nate Flowers always smiling. I think they're just always mm -hmm. so happy to be there. And I don't know if you've noticed like the past deflection um, celebration yes. that he does, that the herb, yeah, that if you haven't seen it, uh, definitely pay attention the next time he deflects a pass because the entire sideline apparently doesn't know too with him. So, um, so yeah, I mean, longevity obviously is one of the things that you want in this league. Um, oh, yeah, by the way, Michael Pierce apparently does hot yoga to help his mobility. Did and, not you know, know that. So um, <laughs> he told me that, too, and I was like, I was like, I was like, do you like it? He's like, I love it. I love hot yoga. So, you know, that's encouraging. That's an encouragement to all the players and whoever else out there. Yoga, Pilates, are wonderful for your mobility and for your body in general. I, I, um, I'm a fitness instructor, too, on this, as a side hustle as well. So I'm a big proponent of, obviously, yoga and um, right. Pilates as well. So, yeah. <laughs> very, very cool. Uh, take us on for another player. All right. So my, uh, let me pull up my list here. Um, my second person or second MVP, I want to say it was someone we've talked about a lot as well. Um, I'm going to put Patrick Queen in there, I think, for my second guy, because, you know, he and Roquan led um, led the defense with tackle and in tackles in this game against the Colts. And I know that, in the past, in the past two games this season, like those two have really been, you, I think you noticed them like a lot more, right? They were a little bit, they were, you know, in the first game um, on that fourth and one on, you know, on that, uh, on the Texans first drive, um, you know, Patrick literally mm -hmm. sent CJ Stroud to another planet and um, with Rohan too, you know, I think that um, regardless of, uh even if they didn't, I don't think, you know, they weren't as like flashy like this game, I guess is the best way I can put it. But no, I think that it, like, he and Roquan are so important. I think that I really admire how he's taking the leadership role coming into this game as well. And I think that that made a difference, you know, at the end of the day, like we talked about, uh, talked about in part one, um, the communication, you know, that part is so important and they've talked about it, how much it's improved. Um, but they did admit, you know, after the game, uh, PQ in particular, that there were some not so successful moments in terms of the communication and he feels like I mean this is how you know like the guys are leaders right he kind of like put put it on his back that touchdown um where he was in coverage on Zach um uh, what's his last name Ham uh, or uh, Moss, Zach Moss. Moss that's right Moss um he put it on his back and he said had that touchdown not been scored like they would have won the game but obviously like that is not why they lost the game I think that that is pretty clear at this point but um he like you know he took ownership for it and there was no pointing fingers he put it on his back and he's like we're gonna do better like I'm gonna do better this is not gonna happen again so I think that's in that he's like my kind of like intangible like MVP of this game for sure and um yeah I think that that's why 
I'll say, I'll say from a very tangible standpoint of his 12 tackle contributions, nine of them were defensive wins. So that's really big, meaning that's not keeping up on schedule with the with the yardage. I know you probably know that, but but there's, there's some people who are listening to the show who probably don't. Uh, so it's very impressive for Queen in terms of, uh, of uh, that. Uh, didn't have a bunch of missed tackles in this game. He had, mm-hmm. uh, he had a bad missed tackle the previous week. Um, he's been a terrific coverage player generally yeah. this year, much better than in the past. Big elevation in his game. Um, the, the, the breakdown on the 17-yard touchdown pass was, the, was really the first one. Uh, it, it's not an easy route to cover, but he was in, in just about the right position for that. Uh, before he got shoved, <laughs> and then he, yeah. and then he, uh, uh, he didn't yeah. quite get his get his head up to track the football uh, well enough to to uh, um, be too much of a looming presence over a player like Moss, who's a lot shorter than him. Yeah, and here's the thing: it's like um, he's someone that I've like talked to like pretty regularly throughout the throughout camp and preseason and coming to this. And obviously, you know, everyone knows like his option didn't get picked up over the summer, mm-hmm. and I think that he definitely came into this season. Look, he had he could have whatever done the whole the whole that whatever you want to call it, right? You know that yeah. a lot of players around the league has done. But what I admire so much about him is that he said, you know, at first he was mad about the whole situation when I asked him about it um, at that stadium practice. But he said, look, like I know I have a lot of football ahead of me. I know that like I'm still young. I still got a lot to I can prove. And he's like, I'm just gonna go out there and prove that I I, I can do this, you know. And I think. Uh, Zach Orr said during uh, preseason two that um, that you saw there was a different look in his eyes when he got to camp when he came back this year that he was ready to go that he had was going to fight for himself you know this season and I think he's done that you know I mean not just from like an aspect of his on the field performance but his intangibles his off the field stuff too. Yeah, he's, he's very focused on, on on football right now. That's very clear. Um, his game has improved in a number of ways, and it, it is a career. And look, sometimes you know you work anywhere in business, the promotion is just not available at your company because there's somebody your age sitting in the job, and right. you have to decide: do I move on or or do I you know wait it out here? And and it's everybody faces it. If you want to rise fairly far up in the corporate ranks, it's not really any different in football. And, you know, Patrick Queen is taking the right attitude towards it, and he is going to get paid if he continues to play like this. And as Ravens fans, that's all we can really hope for is the best yeah. season possible from Patrick Queen, a great compensatory draft pick, and hopefully a, a deep playoff run. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, too, is he understood when I talked to him at that stadium practice, he understood what the situation was He when he said that he was mad about it at first, but then he got over it and he realized, like, hey, like, I know that there are other people that they need to pay. Obviously, Lamar being the big one, OBJ maybe another one, you know, a lot of guys. And he's like, I understood the situation. So I think that that's a really mature uh, mature take at age 24 to look at it like that, right? And he's someone that does listen to a lot of the noise, which is, I was like, oh my gosh, why? Because, <laughs> you know, I personally do not, I don't think it's like great for your mental health, but like whatever argument you want to make for that is fine. But, you know, he reads everything on social media, whether it's positive, whether it's some negative. Really? And he said mm-hmm. he likes to look at both sides and weigh up both sides because he said, you know, he's his harshest critic. And he's like, if there's something bad that someone like says about me, he's like, it's not something that I haven't already taught, like already thought about. But he's like, you know, most people I realize they don't actually know what they're talking about. And, um, but he's like, it's, you know, my job to be level headed. We have, you know, a stacked team this year. We have all the pieces. We know what we want to do. We want to win games. Everybody gets paid. Everybody gets what they want. 
if they, you know, go to the Super Bowl, win a Super Bowl, if they mm-hmm. have success in this season. So I think just such a mature attitude to have when you look at this, because you look at other guys around the league who haven't, you know, who have held out or like whatever you want to call it, you know what I mean? And they haven't had that same attitude, that same mature attitude like realistic attitude so i think that mm-hmm. that is something to be very much admired about patrick queen yeah it's, it, i think all of the ravens who were in their contract years have done a really good job doing that and and dobbins was the one who sort of held in for a while i think he was kind of maybe having his arm twisted a little bit by some of the other running backs in the league on this not 100 percent sure but the fact yeah. that they're meeting on a zoom call would tell me that they're yeah. negotiating you know in, trying in multiple directions but all you got to do is look at nick chubb and nick chubb obviously did get paid before it happened and know that or jk dobbins for that matter and know that you know a running back future is always going to kind of be in doubt um and you know it it is the nature of that game and unfortunately of that position that there's probably additional risk a shorter career there and of all the pl- of all the the positions that the CBA doesn't work really well for running back is one and i think fortunately for queen inside linebacker is one where it actually does work reasonably well that that they have not super short careers they don't get hurt nearly at the frequency of a lot of other positions um you know they're they're strong tough athletes who are usually fairly thickly built and and you know aren't but at the same time they're not so dependent um, on their, I mean, they are dependent on their legs, but they, but they don't have the, the frequency of leg injuries that you get right. on either line um, from the durability. Yeah. yeah, the durability factor is there, I think, a little yeah. bit more. Yeah. So yeah, Patrick Queen is my number two MVP. Oh, all right, that's a, that's a good <laughs> one. I certainly can't argue with that. I I, I was going to save that for a little bit later, but we got that. Let's talk a little bit about Roquan since we're talking about yeah. the inside linebackers here. Uh, also, a very nice game, tied for the team. Uh, with tied for the team lead with 12 tackles, uh, included half a sack, which is really nice. So he made made his contributions on as a pass rusher as well. Six defensive wing amongst 12 tackles was not quite as good as as Queen did. Also had that nice uh, pass defense off the back of his helmet early in the game. Oh yeah, uh, that was a was a key play. Uh, I think that was a that was a drive ending. Not sure if that ended a drive or not. No, it didn't because it was on the next play. The drive, the drive ended. But, uh, but anyway, any PD for an inside linebacker is a very good thing. And Rokon stood up in in coverage. One of the things that comes up a lot on this show is how much better a player he's been since he joined the Ravens. And and you know he was a good player, but he wasn't a great player. And now he's a great player. Oh yeah, he's definitely a standout, um, and I'm sure the Bears are kicking themselves now for this whole situation because they didn't recognize how much potential he had. But um, to kind of bring those two together a little bit now, Patrick Queen and Roquan Smith, I think that they really do make each other better. I know there's a lot of arguments of people saying like, "Oh, like Roquan made Patrick better," whatever. I think that they both made each other better, and they've both talked about that honestly, um, in the sense that they, because I've, I've asked both of them about each other. And, you know, Roquan said this past week that, look, this is a guy that I knew about before I came here because he's a first round draft pick as well. And he was obviously like very talented, like when I got here too. And he's like, honestly, he makes me a better player too. And like that, that, that relationship is like what you want to see. You know what I mean? Like guys that make each other better. That's why I'm like, please don't separate them. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> but um, obviously business decision. But um, yeah, I think that those two have certainly um, made each other a lot better um better players but yeah there's no there's no doubt about that that they've elevated each other 
Yeah, it's uh, it, no doubt about it. They've uh, I, I think the structure in Baltimore has really helped Roquan Smith. So the Bears might be kicking themselves, but the Bears weren't capable of developing Roquan Smith no, as part of the problem. problem. And that might be the same case with Sam Mustafer, that they really didn't have the good enough line continuity that he could become the player he might become here. Now, we can see if some of the play so far has been an illusion. Mustafer wasn't – I well, he was, certainly was far from perfect in this in this last game, but – I think in, in general, uh, he's looked pretty good in the preseason and, and the regular season so far. Yeah, and that, I think that speaks to what the coaches here are doing, right? And, like, you mm-hmm. know, for him, it's kind of cool, obviously, because he's from, like, I think the Owensville's Reisterstown area mm-hmm. as well, so he's from here. But um, I actually talked to him as well as me too. I've been around the locker room a lot uh, these last couple of weeks. But um, he had mentioned that um, – that coming here, having like the veteran guys to learn from, he specifically shouted out Kevin Zeitler and um, Morgan Moses. So again, going back to that whole notion of these older veteran guys that are really nurturing and mentoring these younger guys with experience. And I mean, not that like, you know, Sam Musper's been in the league for what, like I think it's five, six four years, years uh, four years, four years. So, um, you know, I think that, that that's so important. Those relationships are so important. I think that credit to this team, credit to the guys on this team for feeling that, inherent need kevin zettler told me before he feels like an inherent need because he's a vet to really nurture and mentor these younger guys so i think that's credit to them I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that i hope you know before he leaves he'll have some positive impact on on voris i i do expect there's not going to yeah. be money to pay zettler next year but uh you know voris is here and hopefully is going to be in a position to take a starting role and i, I hope he, he can do a little bit more than just rehab this mm-hmm. season from his very significant injury obviously yeah no for sure all um, right. My last wait, we're on last MVP now, right? I'm on my last. Wait, I I, oh, I haven't wait. even got got the MVPs yet. It's oh, just, just any kidding. player you want to talk about. Oh, sorry, any player. Sorry, not the MVP uh, person that you want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Uh, yeah, no. For uh, for me, also oh, wait, Jadavian Clowney. That's something I want to talk about too okay. because he um he stood out in the sense again. If, if we're going back to that theme of. Uh, veteran guys helping out younger guys. He obviously felt that, I think, when he got here, because he talked a lot about Odafe Owe, actually, in their first time uh, in talking to him in the locker room, um, in the sense that he was like, I feel like he's like a similar player that I was when I was first starting out. So he really was, uh, you know, talking him up quite a bit that he's been impressed with what he's been doing. Odafe obviously didn't play this past week after he had an ankle injury in the Bengals game. Um, again, we saw him around the locker room in a walking boot. So, um, we'll see kind of how that materializes. But Jadavion Clowney, I think, has quietly obviously been filling in for the various roles that he has for Odafe. And then um, I think that he brings those intangibles, you know what I mean? Because he was a guy when he first got here, people were kind of like, oh, well, like he had his situation, we'll call it, last Mm -hmm. season. Um, I wasn't really sure what he was going to bring to this team, but I think he's fit in quite nicely, actually. Yeah. Um, in his in his role here, I, I don't know what the Ravens would have done without Jadavian Clowney's pressure so far mm-hmm. this year. He's been been the one real consistency, and 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 that outside linebacker position has been very undermanned. He's taken on a bigger snap role than I thought even wise. I thought you know keeping him fresh would be good. Kind of reminds me of when Pernell McPhee was here for his second tour of duty. How much they put on his side. Pernell McPhee had played, I, I want to say, 15 or 18 snaps per year with Washington and Chicago the past, the, 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 the two or three years previous 
to come into Baltimore. So you don't figure him for being more than a situational pass rusher. And, you know, he comes into camp. He's the Ravens' best run defender at outside linebacker. And he's probably their best pass rusher as well. And so they're trying to put him on the field as often as he can be. And he's playing over 30 snaps a game. And it only took seven weeks for him to get hurt that year. And then the next year he came back and he, and he uh, still played a ton of snaps. Um, I, I, I kind of feel like Clowney needs a reduced role at this point. He's not the only one. The other guy, I think, who needs a reduced role, certainly from what he's been playing recently, is Justin Matabike. Yeah, uh, he's been out there a lot. Yeah. yeah. And it's not that he's not a good player. He's a, he's, a, he's a terrific player. I just think he would be fresher and better as a pass rusher if he played, you know, 47% of the snaps, except uh, instead of, you know, this week, I, I think it might have been like 65% of the snaps. It was just an outrageous total. But uh, I'll get that for you in just a second. But uh, I, I just feel like you know, 64 out of 84. So that's over 75% of the snaps he played in this last game. Way overuse for Matabike. Yeah, and it goes back to kind of the theme of this day slash this week has been in terms of their kind of their hands are a little bit tied right now, I think, with their injury situation. So, I mean, they're literally kind of dictating yeah. the how they're, you know, the strategy from the personnel that they had. And I think Coach John Harbaugh actually mentioned that um, in his Monday presser when it came to both the offense and the defense, honestly, like, you know, in these situations, um, I think the question was about Lamar throwing deep and he said you know we kind of adjusted as the game went along depending on personnel so that's going to dictate i think a lot of what this team does um in this coming week as well yeah it's that is unfortunate but they're going to be very very shorthanded for this game against the browns the browns have looked unbelievably good in two games and quite bad in the third and yeah i'm just laughing about it because when you look at the this is I mean this is kind of why they say like why you play the game like why why this sport is so great because you know when it comes you just never know until it comes down to the actual execution of everything you plan for I mean at the beginning of the season and all the preseason polls people are throwing the Browns away and putting the Bengals up top and I mean we're in what week three and it's the script has been flipped completely mm-hmm. so it's it's very interesting to see that. I, I don't see any teams having a really easy run to the finish line here in the AFC North. And I, I still think any team is probably capable of putting the health together at the right time. They, you know, serious injuries abound across. Obviously, the Browns losing Chubb is very serious, but they still have a functioning quarterback. The Ravens, fortunately, with all their injuries, Lamar is still healthy. Uh, you know, the Bengals obviously yep. missing Burrow or not are not healthy and they have, right. they have problems. And, and Pittsburgh has lost Minka Fitzpatrick already. I don't know when he's. Uh, gonna play again. He didn't play last night, right? No, he didn't. He no, yeah. I don't think he did either. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's health is such a big part of all of this. So mm-hmm. I think that that is going to dictate a lot of what happens in the division as well. Obviously, so we shall see. All right. Uh, how about we talk about Brandon Stevens? Yeah. So we talked about him a little bit in the first show, but actually getting his chance as a number one corner outside cornerback right now, which is just incredible to me that a that's true because you know during the during the first season during the preseason I really thought about this is a guy you probably want as your number five corner on the team on the outside uh, and ideally you know your your, your fourth cornerback is almost always going to see some playing time your fifth cornerback hopefully sees less playing time but probably also will see some but he's he's a guy that you know just had not really proven it did seem to be improving slightly as the season went on. Then we get the the word he's moving to safety before camp starts. Mm-hmm. Then camp, the first day of camp, uh, well, we need a slot corner. Let's move Brandon there. <laughs> see what he can do. I know. I mean, 
yeah, I think that speaks to the versatility factor again. You know, I think with the same thing with Kyle Hamilton, the more positions you can play, the more valuable you're going to be. And I think he's some of the, that's really starting to prove that a lot more. Granted, I think that he had said that, you know, he loves it all in terms of what he wants to play. So, you know, a lot of these guys will just say like, you know, I will play whatever position you want me to um, where you think I'm most valuable. And he's, he's kind of done that and kind of, run away with it this season the outside corner because that's where they again as we mentioned in part one that's where we thought they were going to need the most depth this season but now um it seems like that they they're 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 working out okay at outside corner with him it really it's amazingly that's one of the of the of the few positions where they actually have three functional players right now with with darby and yasin both playing all right and i think steven's playing even a tick better um, Stevens in this game did give up two longer plays, a 34 and a 23, but he had tight coverage on both those. We talked a little bit about that earlier, so I don't want to go over it again. But he also had two passes defensed, and he had two other drive-ending tackles, including that fourth and one in overtime, which is the most important play of the game. Well, no, I, I, I can't say that because the Ravens didn't win it, but it's one of the plays that one of the Ravens games. yet another chance to win the game along with the safety and the, and, and all the other opportunities <laughs> to win this game yeah no for sure and um one thing that i really do enjoy about him another like story time kind of thing is that he um you know he is he's just seemed like one of those like good human guys that is just willing to like do whatever it takes to help this team and you definitely notice that in the locker room he's kind of uh in between like pat ricard and odafe in the locker room and so um the Ravens locker room is like really interesting for those that haven't been in at, at the castle. I like, like, cause it, it makes no sense. Yeah. I liken it to like, you put everybody's number like on a card and then you like throw it up in the air and where they land, like that's where they're going to land. Um, some of them are very intentional, obviously like Ronnie Stanley is next to Tyler Huntley and Lamar and like OBJ is next to Zay Flowers. And then this is my favorite part of the locker room. Cause these are some of my favorite guys like, you know, Stone, Patrick Queen, Roquan Smith, Kyle Hamilton and Broderick Washington are all in a row too. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting to see, like, where they all kind of land otherwise because it seems like everyone else is a little bit random. Usually rookies are in the back, and then, like, when they get to be on their rookie year, they get to be, um, you know, Kyle Hamilton used to be, like, in the back corner where Zay Flowers once was. Are, um, are there two different sizes of locker, or do you want to be near no, the shower, or what do you they, want? Uh, I don't know, actually. Actually, that's a good question to ask the guys this week. Maybe I'll ask them that, like, what is, like, the most, like, MVP like place to be in the locker room. I guess you would have to say it's like by Lamar, right? I don't know. It, Lamar's also probably. by like yeah. Is there a, is there a better position for the TVs or anything else in the room? Uh, no. Well, there's like a okay. So there's a basketball hoop that's like right by. It was like formerly where James Crochet was. Rakiusin is near the yes. Rakiusin, Tyler Huntley, um, Lamar, and then Ronnie Stanley. I want to say and there's like a basketball hoop right next to them. So I guess that's an optimal place. But new this year, this, so if you've heard any of the locker room interviews this year on television or on the radio or anything like that or on any blogs, um, and you hear like these like noises of like things like dropping. So there's cornhole that they brought into the locker room. <laughs> it's, it's right by where you walk into the entrance. So if you're not careful walking around, you could get hit in the face with a cornhole bag, just FYI. Um, but yeah, that's kind of like by that stretch where uh, where those defensive guys I named uh, earlier that I love that were there. there. And then um, Nelson Aguilar is kind of there too. And like in the corners of that, uh, that edge of that line is like Justin Tucker, um, Kevin Zeitler, Tyus Bowser um, and like Devin Duvernay, those guys there. So yeah, the 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 in in locker room game thing is like definitely a thing there. Um, so uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean Brandon Stevenson. Yes, yeah, because like Brandon Stevenson by Pat Ricard. I was like, in what world does this make sense? Because in the past locker rooms I've been in, 
They've always been the Packers and the Patriots, at least. They've been organized by position. Obviously, you want the quarterbacks together. You want whatever position together. But um, yeah. Did the Packers still have their Settlers of Catan regular game going when you were there? They did not. Um, they, I don't remember seeing that actually. It's, but it's been in. I know in what it is. All so. economics, uh, the Economist. That's where that's where I saw it. Okay. Yeah. No, they didn't have that in there. I don't. No, they definitely didn't. Um. Yeah. I don't remember. There wasn't a lot of like a long time like spent in the locker room there. They didn't like the Ravens. Like, what's so interesting about them is like some of them like they do kind of like hang out in the locker room for a little bit and like you know chat and catch up and like whatever um so um yeah i don't remember seeing that in there but i heard about that i think i did hear about that with the packers all right uh i was gonna say what we're talking we talking about we, we are talking about brandon stevens yeah, that's brandon okay stevens, yeah. anybody yeah, else yeah. you'd like to talk about um no i think that those were kind of like the main point main guys for this week yeah all right yeah. I, I, I didn't really get a chance to respond on clowny probably because i, oh. I did, did do it but i did want to say Clowney's, oh no, I did. I did. Four pressures in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, uh, four pressure events. Two of them are pressures, one quarterback hit and one half a sack. Um, he's just, he's been the one constant there. And uh, it, it's it's really nice. He had a couple other that PFF scored, by the way. What those were were later pressures. It doesn't get credit for that for me, from me for those because they're after three seconds. But I just want to explain why this difference occurs to, to any listener who might be wondering why they had him for more. Uh, but anyway, the, the, I, Clowney's presence has been enormous for this team. I don't know what the team would have done without him. Yeah. No, I, I agree for sure. Real quick, 3-2-1 on MVPs. I think you might have said already, but who's your Yeah, I accidentally did. Sorry. I totally re- didn't realize what we were doing organizational-wise. Um, okay. So number one obviously goes to Kyle Hamilton. Mm-hmm. I think that goes without saying. Uh, number two, Patrick Queen. And I would say number three, Brandon Stevens. Okay, good choices. I wouldn't disagree with anyone, and those two are on my honorable mention list. I have Hamilton at number one, Pierce at number two. I thought just at a monster game, and Roquan Smith at number three. But uh, but I can honestly see the uh, uh, see any reason to order those five in any way that includes Kyle Hamilton at number one. Yeah, uh, absolutely. One. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, Melissa, we'll call it there. And we really appreciate you coming on the show and taking taking all this time to, to talk football and have these great stories about the you know inner workings of the Ravens, Ravens organization. Some of these relationships It's just great to hear. Uh, tell folks where they can talk football with you online. Uh, sure. I, I'm on Twitter and Instagram and threads now to apparently th- or X, whatever, whatever we're calling it now, social media. Uh, I'm Melissa Y. Kim on every all of those platforms, all the mediums. So you can find me there. Hit me up. Okay, Melissa Wykim, and you're on Friday night uh, on Game Day Flockdown. Game Day Flockdown, yeah, right? Yeah, and yeah. Then- game Day Flockdown on the fan, yep. And then also um, post-game on Sundays after the game as well. Is is that on the fan or is that on? on, on- uh, that's on the fan as well, yeah. Okay, great. 105.7 also, wonderful. Yeah. Well, thanks, thanks again, Kim. Uh, other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter. This is how I find new content a lot of times and new uh, people to share the the discussion of what's going on with the Baltimore Ravens. So please hit me up there. Uh, always appreciate your contributions. Kim, thanks again for coming on. I mean, sorry, Melissa. Thanks no, that's okay. On. I'm used to that too. Thank you so much. <laughs> I appreciate it. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. <laughs>